This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a very special welcome to those of you that are joining us for the first time. And I'm going to sort of preface before I get be getting to the topic today. And I've got a guest with me today uh, again as we continue our, our topic, talking about the, the job landscape in UX, whether it's hiring or trying to find a job. Um, I want to say this. I usually say it at the end. I'm saying it at the beginning of the day. It's time for truth to go viral. I've had a lot of conversations lately with people who are talking about these folks who are, they don't know anything about UX. They haven't been doing anything in UX for any length of time. And they are the loudest people on the, on the internet, whether it's YouTube, whether it's LinkedIn, whatever, Twitter, they are the loudest people. And But what they're sharing has little to no value. And then there are instances where some people, I've heard some people say, well, you know, that person, what they're saying is really good. Yeah, but they're a troll. So so to me, that person is a Trojan horse because if you do embrace what they say, they've got something waiting on you that's gonna hurt you. In the end, there was a guy recently, and my, my guest today, by the way, is Spencer Ivory, and I, he looked like he's biting his lip there, and he wants to laugh or no, something, no. Yeah, not say anything. <laughs> there was a guy recently, before we even dive into our content, I'm, I'll introduce him in a moment, I gotta say this now. Somebody had a workshop, or a, a workshop, seminar, I don't know what it was, but the topic is what I remember, and the topic was embrace imposter syndrome so you can be a better leader. Then if you, now that's already ludicrous. And, and for those of you who, uh, people who listen to this podcast, if you go to uxuncensored.medium.com, I do an expose on imposter syndrome that, that shares a lot of things that people who embrace imposter syndrome don't know any of the facts that I shared. Uh, you're not even eligible for imposter syndrome unless you're actually good at what you do. If you just started, that means you're ineligible. So you don't come out the shoot. You don't come out the womb claiming to be have imposter syndrome because you're not, you don't know anything yet. <laughs> so you, you're not eligible. So, but anyway, go and look that, look that up if you want to dive into that a bit. But it, after you go to this person's event or you just sign up, what's waiting for you on the other side is some type of a course or system that costs you 5K. Five, so the person is using old snake oil sales techniques from the 1800s, roping in people who are eager for a, a quote unquote cure. Then you come in and then the next thing you know, he's running off with $5,000 of your money. And that, yeah. that person only has five, six, seven years of quote unquote experience. And because they worked at a big name company, everybody just bows down and they, and they pay obeisance to this person. They're, they're all bowing and, and doing all these crazy things. They worship people because they went to a school with a big name. They worship people because they worked at a company with a big name. Folks, it doesn't mean anything. So um, it's time that stuff went viral. It's time for truth to go viral. That's 
wanted to say a proposition that I'm putting out there for people today. I hear from people all the time how they love the content on this show. I hear from people talking about how this show has helped them to vault themselves forward in UX, to have realistic expectations about the discipline, to understand how to grow, to understand how to manage their careers, to under to have proper properly set expectations. This is the kind of stuff that needs to go viral. There is no snake oil sales here. We're not making any money off of you, not even trying. Those people are. <laughs> All of those people are making money hand over fist, and, and it's backwards. It's backwards. So anyway, we started off our show with the end. So that, that's a first, but that's okay. So we're going to get into the, <laughs> the content uh, today now. Now all of the all the posers and the retrofits and the upstarts already turned us off. So good. So now just the people who mean business remain. So good. So because uh, we, we don't care about them being here. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about vanity metrics. I care about helping people, right? We want people to grow. We want people to be successful. We don't want we don't want to people drowning in toxic positivity. Uh, we want you to be a realist because that's what's going to stick to your ribs over time. So let's get into the the topic at hand again. This is the third segment where we're going to be talking about the whole job landscape in UX, whether it's hiring, whether it is trying to find a job. How do you navigate? I even want to have some some early career UX folks to talk about some of their journeys. So we're going to get some of them on here uh, at, at one point in time during this series. But today I have with me someone who was just on recently, uh, the person who exceeds me in, in the discipline uh, of those who are of the BIPOC, of the BIPOC persuasion, <laughs> Spencer Ivory, who was uh, doing this work, usability work, going back into the, man, the the, the 80s. I, I got in in the 90s, but he was doing it in the 80s. And so I love that. I, I love People who bring something to the table, unlike many new people today, when they encounter a new UX person, they want to kill you. They want to run you over with their car. They they don't want to listen to anything you say. And, and no, we embrace people who bring something to the table. So I, I celebrate Spencer Ivory. Thank you for joining me on today, sir. And what, what initial words do you have for the folks before we get into our topics on today? Wow, you know, this is a tough act to follow you, Darren. I mean, you, you, lo- you, you loaded up so much that I feel like, wow, I mean, be careful when you drop in. <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate you having me on because I think it's, you're, you're right. All the things that you say about opening up UX and understanding really what this career is and being a person of color is how do you get in and how do you get experience? How do you go from zero to some point in your career where you can step back and say, oh, I've accomplished something or I've arrived at a point where now I can step back and, and stop worrying about that knock on the door to say you're not good enough to to do to do this work. Because, you know, as, as you're saying, Derek, you know, I got in it when, you know, there weren't many people of color in this business. And, you know, as I said before in your other podcast, I would go to conferences and it would just be, maybe myself and two other yeah. people of color there yep. that were there. But, you know, I've never, and, and, this, and this goes back to how I was raised as a kid. I never saw, I never see people for the skin value. I see people for the, if they respect yep. me, I respect them, you know? And, and the reason why I call out why, you know, being the only, you know, one of the few minorities in these groups was because I just felt that maybe minorities didn't see this as a path of, so we say employment or 
can they raise their families yeah. doing this type of work? You know, because at that time, you know, you know, we, and you know, today we don't have that many black programmers and, you know, we're in organizations are trying to figure out that diversity there. So there's a lot of diversity from the technical career side that has passed people of color by because either they felt they would be slighted and they were, because I know I, I, Believe me, I was on the front runner of that stuff, and you knew when you were being slighted. The guy would just, you're not ready for this job. And you, <laughs> and you just look at the guy, you go, why do you just say I'm not, you're not white enough for the job? And let's be honest. But, you know, but see, those things, those it's things real. would happen. It's, it's real. real. Those, things, those things would happen, and I would look past them. Why? Because my father raised me because he raised me in a way that, hey, these are the things that you're going to have to fight through. Mm-hmm. And and on all those movies we see where the the, the, the underdog, and in the case where they're black people or people of color being underdogs, that is true. And I, and I hope you if, you, if you don't know the plight of, 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 of especially black people in America, you know, and then and you hear these political revocations that, I don't know what that book, 1690, the woman's trying to tell the truth about what really happened and they try and write that stuff out of history. And it's just, it's, it's saddening, but it's, it's true. Yeah. But anyway, so let's, so I don't want to digress and get it. Cause you know, we, we, we live in a world where it's, it's just a mess and things are going on. But here, if, we, if I bring it back and tie it back to the conversation of getting into this business and, 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 you know, and, and looking, looking through those slides and continue to put my head down and to, and to keep pounding and, and going forward. Yep. It's a tough road, but you can do it. You can do it. You just have to have that fortitude you, and you have to believe in yourself. You really, and even when they say no, it's, and I, and I never used to believe this, but when one door closed, definitely there's another door that opens up for you. You, yep. you yep. as the individual have to go find out. And, and, and it's something that I always preach to, to my daughter, who we had on the show earlier, but a while back, that I I I always encourage her to do the same thing. Don't don't take no as the final answer. And believe me, I I've had no. I've been brought into jobs and only been there for a couple of weeks, and then I've been showing up, showing the door. So you just have to have a thick skin, yes. and if you want it bad enough, you will get it. And so I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, Absolutely. there are you, yeah, because you, we- you loaded it up. There's a lot here, so <laughs> it is. We could easily go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I just yeah, told somebody true. There's a lot I, here. I, I'm gonna mention this and then we're gonna get to our topic, but you just made me think about it. I was having a conversation with somebody. We've had we have a lot of conversations on LinkedIn from time to time. I'm glad that some people do decide to be civil <laughs> and actually be social media or be social, yeah. I should say on social media, what a novel idea. Uh and, and some I had mentioned something about um, people who are marginalized and how we're treated in the U.S. community. And, and then somebody yeah. came in and they were talking about something that happened to a friend of theirs. And they said, well, let's let's put the marginalization aside for a moment. I said, no, no, we're not going to do that. I said, that's why the problem continues because people such as yourself that are not marginalized always want to set the marginalization aside. And when you set it aside, nobody ever deals with it. It doesn't impact you. So you don't care. I'm here to tell you and to, to run it down your throat. If I have to, this is real. 
we have to people like me have to deal with it all the time such as what spencer just said you get shown the door just because you have what i like to call melaninitis you know so <laughs> you got more melanin and so that's a problem for a lot of people they don't look at the fact that you're qualified they don't look at the fact that you know your stuff they don't look at the fact that you that you have a long track record of success. They don't care anything about that. If they saw you on paper, they'd love you. If they never yes. saw your face, they would love you. People have heard me speak, did not see my face, and did not know I was of African-American descent. Yes. And, 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 and then when they see me, then the, the jaw drops and you start getting yeah. all the reactions. And, and, yeah. and, and because you have... You have conscious racism, deliberate racism. You also have unconscious racism. Some people yeah. are racist and don't even know it. It, it. It's it's so ingrained. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't try to avoid the rabbit hole. I've already stuck my foot in there a little bit. But but people just, they, you can't ignore things and expect it to go away. And so I just yeah. kept mentioning it and I kept mentioning it. And, and the person never did really. Matter of fact, the person said something to the extent of, okay, well, at least we agree that that something about this has to be done. So she was indirectly and passively aggressively, passive aggressively saying uh, that she didn't agree with what I was saying. How can you tell me that you don't agree with what's happening to me when it doesn't happen to you? So that's why that kind of stuff continues and and that's why yeah. it will continue to be a problem and i was when i was a kid i wanted to be like martin luther king jr and and i was all over the i have a dream and when i got older fast forward when i got older so this one maybe this this segment is for the uh, the people of color that are listening to this podcast um and we'll get to the other stuff in a moment don't worry about it <laughs> but but i learned that the dream some people are not going to like this but you do well to ignore the dream was the mindset that I eventually arrived at. If one person has a dream, but you don't get up and do the work, the dream means nothing. So how about right. we just set the dream aside? I'm going to make yeah. myself qualified. I am going to work to be the absolute best professional that I can be. I have to ignore my own color in order to, to pursue success. Yeah. And I have to yeah. don't go in thinking that I'm the black guy because if you go in thinking you're a black guy, you end up with a chip on your shoulder. And then when something right. you're waiting on something to happen, and then when something happens, you end up being reactionary. And that's not very emotionally. That's an EQ red flag tapping into one of my oh, one of my old episodes. Yeah. So I have to ignore the fact that and I'm not even 100 percent black. I am part Sioux. I am part Cherokee. Yes. And, and but yes, yes. but you know, and, and I'm, I'm proud of that, too. But so that's yes. why I, I was glad to put BIPOC UXer since 1995 i'm proud of that uh and, and just to stake my claim on it but i also have to just say it because i know who i am and then immediately dismiss it because it doesn't mean anything no, it, doesn't it doesn't mean anything so be be excellent be excellent and ride that i want to i want to ride the wave of excellence and 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 then when somebody tells me no no that's one closed door Another one will open. And I say it all the time. Right. It's not about the hundred jobs you don't get. It's about the one that you do. And, you and do. that's, that's our, our, our mode to transition into our topics right there. Topic number one. That's a, that one. Consider all that stuff bonus. <laughs> Topic number one. 
for today. We want to spend some time talking about, I know Spencer has a lot of insights to share on all three of these topics. Uh, so we want to milk him for what he's got on this. We want to talk for a little bit about interviewing and vetting candidates. And, and one of the reasons I'm bringing this topic up on top of the fact that Spencer brought it up when we were in our warm-up phase for the show today is that I, I've spent some time recently telling people how you're in, when you're in UX, you're, uh, for, especially for entry-level people, you're coming into an arena that revolves around empathy. And I know some people don't like the word empathy. I ignore that because I know what empathy means. And, and I love the uh, one of the one of the famous author authors who writes about Adele Lynn, my favorite EQ author. And I talk about this in my EQ series. She talked about empathy as being simply understanding someone else's perspectives. That's all mm-hmm. it is. And, and then yeah. taking that into consideration as you work. And because I've heard people say that it's not possible to empathize. I empathize with people all the time. So so I, I just throw that out. So it's understand someone's perspective. And when you understand somebody's perspective and take it to heart, you're, you're empathizing. Now, why did I mention that? Because a lot of people are trying to find a job and, and uh, people I've been telling this to have been embracing it. You need to be empathetic even when you're trying to find a job. You need to empathize sure. with the hiring manager. You need to hire, you need to empathize with the recruiter as much as you might not like some recruiters. And a lot of recruiters give other ones a bad name, a bad name. But the truth of the matter is, if you empathize with them, you will be in a better position to engage with them. And right. so I know Spencer's going to have some things to share. We're about to cut him loose here. What do you have to share? What do you, what, what would you like to call out with regard to interviewing and vetting candidates? You know, I managed in this space for seven years of my career and I did a lot of interviewing um, from, from just cold calls or resumes, HR dropping a stack of resumes to uh, canvassing on college canvases. And, and I found <clears throat> the, the most pleasure I had was interviewing students on campus because, you know, they're full of just, you know, that whole thing, gung-ho. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're willing to roll up their sleeves and not be so, the pride, they, they have no pride. They, they want a job. Give me an opportunity. And you can see it written on their face. You see it in their resume and you see it in, you hear you, you hear it in their voice. Yeah. And to me, those those were good, good face face time values of understanding who these individuals are, or potentially what we would do. And then you would make little notes in the side columns on their resume as you look down and you, you know, you try to maintain the eye contact. But then sometimes if I was lucky, I could bring an assistant along and they would do the notes and I would just drive the question and they would just jot down the notes yeah. in the areas where I would, I would say, Hey, yeah, you know, make sure you capture that. But what I found out about the the whole interview process and, and here again, you know, we, we, we would interview a lot. Of, I mean, I interview a lot of people, but you know, it, the, the, the numbers of, of people of code that would interview for these, these, these UX roles were far and few. I mean, we had a lot of mm-hmm. people of Indian descent because it, you know, Indian people from India tend to be very technology uh, embracing and this field UX was something that they always wanted to get in. And a lot of it was the fact that programmers, the, the people that were the CIA, you know, the, the computer science majors tend to be, one-sided as well right you know there's so we always i always saw the same vein of people and it, it vexed me a little bit because maybe at that time i should have said why aren't there more 
people, especially minorities, programming. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we concerned about technology? Because one day we're going to have to live with this stuff, right? As we are now, because I never saw enough of that. And that, and that was something that in the back of my mind that I was asking those questions. And then I would ask the, actually, I went back to the UC Berkeley where we were recruiting and I asked the, the counselor, I says, hey, where, where are my minority candidates? And they said, and she pulled me aside and she said, well, we don't have that many computer science majors that are really interested in this area. I said, well, what about the other major? Because we, because when we, when we canvassed campuses, we sort of cast a wide net. You know, we were looking for art majors. We were potentially looking at people who were history, history majors or anthropologists or people with different disciplines to bring in the fold. So, but there was never really, I thought enough of people of of my or ethnic background that would show up at these at these interview sessions or these campuses. I mean, because this was money that we were spending at UC Berkeley. I mean, they gave us a nice swat area in, in, in on the campus, the community common halls where all the students would pass through. I mean, I would have a few that people would would come by and look at the read the brochure material, and they would say, "Oh, this is an interesting field. You think I could get into?" I said, "Well." Don't think about it. Step up. Bring me your resume. Let's sit down and have that conversation. I just think it's just, for me at that time, why weren't they challenging enough? Because I was raised by a family. If I wanted something, say something. If I wanted to do something, do something. I could not rest on the laurels. I could not rest on, you know, and and, and you and that's a good thing you, you brought that up, Darren, about the dream. We can't live on the dream. We have yep. to live if you want the lights to stay turned on in your house, or if you want to put your kids to college, or if you want to buy that car, that dream goes out the door. Yeah, I'll tell you the reason. My reason why is that I want to eat. I have a style of living that I want to adhere to. Uh, there are places in the world I want to see, and it's and you and for you know you you know for those of us who know it takes money to get there, or if you were in a position at these organizations, these companies, yep. you get those opportunities. They put you in these, and that that happened to me. I mean, I was working for a company, Silicon Valley company. Next thing you know, they 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 sent me to France. I was in France. I was in Germany. You know, I was in Switzerland. So I got opportunity because I applied myself. So these are the things I think in the interviewing process I'm looking for in candidates is that drive, first of all, to drop in, sit down in front of me or have, or have the conversation. Even because, as I said, you know, during the interview process at UC Berkeley, we opened up our canvassing to everyone. It wasn't so much that we were looking for the, the, the computer science majors, although they were like the predominant people. I went back to the counselors and said, hey, listen, I want more people from diversity, from all these, because what we do in UX, it's a very, it's the, the, the disciplines that require to empathize with our users, that is understand someone trying to use a product who have no knowledge, you have to have some sort of uh, ability to say, if I was in their shoes, what would I feel like? And there, and if you think back in your life, there are times when you just didn't know things and you just raise your hand and go, hey, I'm going to ask a dumb question here. I don't know what the F I'm doing here because I don't know about how to use this. Product. Or, oh, I stumble into a product where I'm banging around on the UI going like, wow, this is real interesting. I don't understand what they're trying to accomplish here. So, But to rein all this back in, the vetting 
is, is, is getting the candidates and then having the triage, because I know when I would, when I would single out resumes and go back to my boss, who, who, who at the, initially she was my best friend. We were, we were really good. We were a good duo because she wanted to build a UX empire out of ashes because the guy, her predecessor had tore down the group and basically he did some things, some unsavory things. And so wow. the, the organization was looking at us a different way. We had to rebuild everything from like, it was like from scratch. So she was, we would have conversations. We would look at these resumes and go through them one by one. And we say, okay, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this person? You know? And, and at that time it was more about, I think she was more jaded about the fact that she wanted people who had CIS skills, computer mm-hmm. science skills more so than the people I felt that could do this. Cause as I said, I, don't, I think I said on your last show, Darren, I had one friend of mine who was a, a music major and she wound up being one of the talented, most talented programmers that uh, Apple had. And this is directly, she walked in and she, mm-hmm. and she never programmed a lot of code in her life. The woman sat down and she blew the doors off these guys because wow. it's a structure. I think, if you if you if you understand music and notes and measures, you can figure out how to put programs and algorithms together, and how how structured languages work. Because music is a structured language. If you don't think of, if you think about yeah, it, yeah. But and she became one of their top flight developers, and we're still friends today because Nancy has gone. She's been at uh, Stanford. She's taught at taught at Stanford, and she's gone. And she was at Webvan. She's gone through all the startups, and she's done a lot. So it's not where you came from or what you've done disciplined. It's what you want. Yeah, you you can do it if you want it bad enough. You will get there. And I think that's where that vetting with candidates, and sometimes you have to get candidates to believe in themselves, especially when they're young. Mm-hmm. And they're you know they're still trying to figure it out. It's, it's the old salty dogs. Well, okay, and we'll get to that. Someone they walk in, you know, and, you, and you're like, okay, well, then why are you here looking for a job if you're if you're if you're walking on water? Well, obviously there's there's something going on in this guy's <laughs> past or career, but he's wound up at our front door, right? You know, it's, and this these things happen. So you gotta get you gotta look and look and stir long enough, and it's just you know, having the, the fortitude of asking questions and listening. I think I mentioned this in our last series. I think the biggest part of our work, especially in UX, you have to learn, you have to be a damn good listener. You yes. have to be able to yes. listen to people and to be able to ascertain what's really going on as to, you know, how do you pitch a solution? Or what is this product all about? Or is it really a product? Or is it, or do we have PM product managers who are just selling you a line of smoke because the guy's on his way out and he's got his own agenda that he's either going to run it off the rails or he wants to leave, you know, right off into the sunset saying, well, see, this is what I did, right? So I think it's it's that whole thing, if you bring this all back to, to, to the interview process and vetting, it's sort of like finding those individuals that, are most likely to succeed yes. and, and wear your <laughs> blinders and not look at what they are, who they represent and the color of their skin. It's just ability to get the work done. But unfortunately I would like to see more people of color challenging this space, you know, putting their, dipping their toes into it, becoming developers, understanding structured languages, or if you're a music major, even if you're a music major, you know, if you if you music is a hobby, 
and everybody can't be the next shining star artist. Well, then you you got to keep the lights turned on. I mean, and I think this is a good a good career if you understand it and 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 build your 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 build a good foundation. Yeah, come in and try to understand exactly what you want to do because this is a broad field, and then start specializing yourself. Maybe start as a general to be an usability engineer, like I did, because I I just sat and I would run the shows, run the tapes, come back and dissect the tapes, and I would just look at people's facial expressions as they were looking at things. I'm like, the psychology behind that is, is it's yes. it's so much reward. How many psych classes have you taken? You talk about this, the Freud says, okay. The theoretical stuff, throw it out the window. I mean, the reality is when people are confronted with issues, it's the facial expression. What are their eyes doing? Where are their hands going? And that facial expression is priceless. Yes. It is priceless. When they're confounded and you're like, you know what? I should not build a product and see that expression on anyone's face. <laughs> but yep. <laughs> but we we continue to do this. We continue to build products and do it. It's it's just it's just, that's how I learned. That's mm-hmm. how I learned. And my career went from there to where it is now. I, I started out just, you know, understanding what the usability issues are when we're building products and the vetting. It's, it's the same thing. You're, you're vetting all that information. And then when you're rolling that back up into an interview, you you try to picture that individual in that scenario. What, are they going to be able to capture those things for you if you put them on the front lines or are they just going to be people that you just say, okay, you're good at doing, you're good at dissecting tape. I need you to, to take these, these hours of usability session and break this stuff up into an eight minute segment. Give me the highs and lows. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think there's a lot of ways to get involved in this business, but I think that that's part of that, that, that vetting thing. But, but, but to, but to, to tie it all back, the interview is just to find them, find the right candidates, find yes. the, the, about the people who really want to do this. Yes. And there was something that you said during the, during the preliminaries that, that I wanted to bring up. I thought it was, it was dynamite and, and people again, trying to help people empathize, understand what's going on in the head of the, of the hiring manager and those people you mentioned, we want to flip, I'm going to flip the script now to speak to those who are in leadership and, and help them out or just make people just go into retro mode. Because sometimes we already, it's not that we don't know certain things. We just need to be reminded of it or we just need our memories stirred up to give it some thought so that certain things could be at the forefront of our minds. You said, and I quote, there's an art to interviewing. Can you, can you elaborate on that? (laughs) You know, the, the, the art of interviewing is, you know, we have to tie this other back to listening to people because as I told you in the example I use, because I had an interview with a gentleman a couple of days ago, and I said, if we were in an elevator together and we only had, we're going from the ground floor to the fifth floor, and you, you hear this a lot as well, give me your elevator pitch. Give me what I need to know about who you are, such that it will beckon me to ask further down other, other questions because you should know who you are as an individual enough or just you got to be comfortable enough in your skin to take that on as a challenge. I got five minutes or less to express who I am, what my journey is, where I started and come to some, some conclusion point that when that door opens up and say, well, do you want to know more? Do I want to turn the page in this book yeah. to continue to read? Or do I want to just say, you know what? No, I don't get it. Because I think there is there is a science to it, 
and I think there's 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 a way of you know through time through the art of understanding who you are you 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 know I mean it's this is you know maybe this maybe this is a minority thing because I'm I'm challenged I had this 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 author not author but when I came out of college the guy came to me and said Spencer you always need to have your resume in your briefcase because you never know when you're going to get that interview opportunity. And he was so right. He was so right because I used, and I still do that. I do carry my resume, but it's on a thumb drive, by the way. It's not a hard copy. It's on a thumb drive. I never, I never leave home without it because you never know who that person you're going to be sitting next to on a plane. And this has happened to me. I've sat at airports and lounges where I've sat down and I didn't know who I was sitting next to. And it's some, executive at some exotic corporation and you have that conversation you start out with a five minute who i am blah 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 whatever that is and then he and then and then he he'll ask you because if you're dynamic enough or you or if there are phrases that, or things that you're mentioning that are qualifying who you are and the, the individual really wants to hear what you have to say then you can take that next step so that to me it's a five minute elevator pitch that you have to develop it's like carrying your resume around with you at all times and being ready to present on a moment's notice. So that's, that's what I meant by that. And that was the individual that I talked to. And I, unfortunately he didn't do a very good job, but then we'll see how the story unfolds. <laughs> <for that time. laughs> you also mentioned a book that intrigued me that of course I've got a huge library and I want to run out and get a copy of this book. You mentioned a book uh, by the name of build yeah. And you talked about how this person, there are two things that you said that stuck out to me um, or stood out. One of them was how he talked about empowering people. And he said, you can't be afraid. I'm paraphrasing this one. You can't be afraid to bring people smarter than you onto your team. This is something that's been a huge issue uh, for me uh, as a person who has two master's degrees. I get rejected because people are scared to death of me. Uh, yeah. I've got two master's degrees, not one. It, it, there was a day when they said, well, no, Darren, we, we can't move forward with your candidacy because you don't have a degree. Now, oh, Darren, and they don't <laughs> tell you this. Well, we're just going to go with someone else who's, whose qualifications more closely align with our requirements. There's nobody. Yeah. It looked like you looked at my resume and wrote this job description. So that's not really what's happening here. There's something else going on. And I can't tell you the moving number the of goal times. Moving the goalposts is what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. moving the goalposts on you, Derek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, no. Uh, I, I had a person once where I didn't go forward in an interview process. Uh, and, and I'm like, okay, this doesn't make any sense at all. And they gave me that same spiel. Whoever the first person was that wrote that should be ashamed of themselves. I think I said that last week. That whole mm -hmm. someone, someone else who's, whose qualifications more closely aligned. And then I find out that the person who gets the job had a 10th of my experience. So if, if that person more closely aligned with your requirements or your qualifications, then you didn't write the job description well, or you had some type of a hidden agenda, but there's something wrong. I talked to a person recently in the UX chit chat hour uh, meeting who said that people were coming to her on LinkedIn she was not even applying. People were coming directly to her to offer her UX director positions, person of color, but that wasn't it. They were coming to her. She didn't have any experience. 
in, in UX. She she went to she got some education in UX, but she doesn't have the the 15, 20, 25 years. But they wanted her to be she didn't have the two years, if I remember correctly, but they wanted her to be the director. I'm like, what is going on here? And 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 we we actually shared our insights. Some of us that were senior in that discussion, we shared our insights. A lot of people, very few people, hire a real UX people to run their UX teams. That's a known yeah. fact. Um, they they love bringing in the art director. They love bringing in the creative director. I know a company that hired a former developer who had no UX experience whatsoever and only four years of development to be a head over, over that particular group of UX professionals. I'm like, how's that person going to mentor somebody? How's that person going to guide and manage UX maturity? You talk to a bunch of them, they don't even know what UX maturity is, but they're the director. They don't know what UX maturity is. And so when, I, when you talked about this book, and this guy, he nailed it. You got to bring in people. You cannot be afraid to bring in people smarter than you. That job I mentioned, I sort of mm-hmm. jumped to another story. When I looked, when, when they told me, and I told them that, I, I, I told them what I thought. This person said that I didn't have any e-commerce experience. How can you, I think I talked about this last week as well. A person who's been doing UX for 27 years has e-commerce experience. He assumed that I didn't have any e-commerce experience. He wanted to believe that I didn't have any e-commerce experience so that he could dismiss me from, from consideration. But you know, because I have a lot of e-commerce experience, but right. that wasn't really the problem. When I finally looked up that person's profile on LinkedIn, that person had 10 years. He was the director. I was interviewing for a manager's position. This is one of the problems when you, we, we, I don't care any, I don't want your job. <laughs> you know, but some of these people, they want somebody's job if they were in my shoes. And, and so they have a hard time realizing and coming to grips with the fact that some of us are actually humble and we don't want to be the bird. You have to go to more meetings than me. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm gone. I know how it works when you're in that position. I know how much of your life you're going to have to give up when you're in that position. But I was just trying to get a manager's position for a big real t- retail company here in the right. States. I interviewed for another right. fortune 50 company and, and they decided to, I got the same notice Oh, we're going to go with somebody else whose qualifications are a bit more aligned with it. You know, I'm going, that's, that is such a, it's such malarkey that you know that there are some hidden agenda or reasons because you don't get people who've been doing UX for 25, 26, 27, 30 years coming through your doors, applying for a job. And if you can't find a, a place for that person on your team, Somebody doesn't know something about UX and it's not the applicant in such case. So I, I go on my little mini rant there on that, but, but I, I'll hand it over to you. Well, okay. So the, the book, I'll bring it up here shortly, but to, to answer or to, to chime in on your question, I think those people fear they, they have a, they have a lack of respect for themselves whether they realize it or not mm-hmm. and whether or not they want to build a successful organization you, you can't build a successful organization hiring people that look just like you. There's just no way about it. I mean, if I had, if I was a CEO of a company, yep. I wouldn't want to hire people like me. I would hire people who would demonstrate skill sets that far, probably far, far exceeds 
some of the things that that, that I've kind of like just looked at and said, well, curse me, kind of like wave my hand, but maybe this person's got a better perspective on it and can rein it in and apply those metrics to where we're going and where how do we need to get there. So, yeah, I, I, these the. the that especially when you say the the individual that they prefer, you know, it's sort of like sometimes they come up with this club attitude where maybe yes. she was a director of something at another organization, and just because she had director in her title, they feel more comfortable. Well, director, you you know, you know how to handle budgets, you know how to handle resources and monies, and you need to come up with that spreadsheet and stand up and wave your hand at the PowerPoint presentation and saying blah blah blah. So yeah, that's probably part of some of that. It's hard to say, you know, what what goes through an individual's mind when they make those sort of decisions because you know we're human right you know we're we're prone to error and then the other thing is they just they tend to believe what they want to believe and you and, and they won't unbelieve what they think they it's so like you don't know what you don't know sometimes right and and i think a lot of those individuals are in that in that category they just don't know what they don't know and therefore yeah. they're going they're going to take what they what they assume to be the, the right and they're going to go that way and you could you could bellow at them till the moon turns green <laughs> and they'll never change their attitude about well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna still, I'm still gonna stick with that person because I still have an affinity to them. But back to this book, uh, it's called Build, and it, and the subtitle is the the, unorth- the unorthodox guide to making things work worth making. So he goes through this whole his name and the, and the author's name is Tony Fidel, yeah. um, and he goes through this whole thing about who he is and how he got on, you know, where he is in his life. So and one of the things that, that caught my eye, or as I'm listening to it, because I, because I, I try to multitask, and I usually buy my 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 books on Audible, and I can walk around listening and doing other things, and then things just kind of fly through that that sort of subconsciousness. He brought up the term about you know as he kind of his last journey that he's currently on with Quest. And how he built the team from zero, I mean, because you know he got he got the he got the idea to build come up with this thermostat on the wall, um, and you know from Google, and you know and then Google sold it off, and he was able to take it and he ran with it as his own entity. But the thing is that that, that I think for me the takeaway for it was that he felt that he wanted to hire people who were talented enough to do the work, not so much that he wanted to hire people that was just like him. He wanted people who were, if not, they were talented. And if they happened to be smarter, he was even that much more attracted to them. Why? Because those people are going to open up other avenues and lead your organization in a much more productive way. If you, if you give them the resources and stay out of the way. And I think, that was what I got initially from my boss that I was managing for at Lotus IBM. She gave me the resources and she stayed out of the way initially. Yep. And I and I was able to grow that team and build it out. And, and the things that we were doing, I mean, we were mimicking stuff that Intuit was doing and Intuit was knocking it out of the park at that time. Yeah. And we were, we were following in their footsteps and I was able to get programs initiated. So she was willing to take hands off and say, Spencer, I trust you. You're going, you're going to do the right thing. And she stayed out of the way and she became just more of the come to my, 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 my meetings. I want a progress report. I give her a progress report. And then we would talk about funding. She would say, okay, how much money would you need to run these sessions? 
or how many people do we need to add to our organization so we cover more ground or more distance? Or what is that topic that you talked about in the last meeting, utilizing some of the, t- the techniques that Intuit uses? So she empowered me because she 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 didn't feel any fear that I would sidestep or, or step over the boundaries. Now, over time, that wore out, and then when I followed her to the startup, things got, I don't know how we got sideways with each other, but things, maybe things wear out over a period of time, who knows? Um, but anyway, back to Tom, Tony, this guy, Tony Fidel talks about it in, in the same sense of people that he had worked with at other organizations along that path, and he would bring them in, and sometimes that the feeling was that they knew one another, they knew their strengths and weaknesses, right? Because him being the CEO, he had to be willing to listen to critique feedback, criticism about what you're doing. And I think, especially in UX, we have to be thin, not thin skinned, but we have to have the willingness to look, be critiqued and understand that, okay, if I personalize it, then it becomes an issue for me, right? Because you're now taking a problem and manifested into something else where it need not have gone. So I think the thing is just sort of having that ability to, to, to be reflective enough, but at the same time saying, okay, I can go forward and still be productive without the fear of this person that I'm, I'm hiring that may, who may, who could wind up being my boss, right? You know, who eventually would just, he blow past me. But the hope is that you, because what you're building is, 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 is a community that, that community of, of, of people who are like-minded, who, who see that it's the same plight of the empathy that what we're trying to build, the problems that we, that come up. And we see it all the time with products, the same products or same issues, or you, 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 you buy that, that egg maker in the kitchen from Cousinart, which is, was a big name. And you look at the instructions and you're like, damn, you know, who, who wrote up the instructions for this device and why is it written up this way? Right. You're like, come on guys. But see, these are the things that if, if the Cousinart had, you know, especially from their usability perspective and when they were, I'm assuming they ran some research or then they had people unbox this stuff and try to go make a post egg that they would fall and find this stuff. But maybe, maybe who knows? It's, it's hard to say mm-hmm. in, in different product organization, how that stuff comes together. So yeah, to, to answer your question, it's, it's, it, to me, it's, it's just being comfortable in your skin. And, and it always comes back to being how comfortable you are with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have the, the fortitude and the wherewithal to, to weather it, you can, there's a lot of things that we don't know what we're capable of doing, but we still have to be comfortable where we are in the, in the food chain, in the process. And then you, you need to have a good rapport with your manager, right? You know, that, that was something I told you on the sidebar that, you know, currently I have that rapport with my manager and hopefully it'll stay that way because it's, it's a trust, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's that trust. It's sort of, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, the dog, when, when a dog will trust you, he will roll over and show you his belly, right? Because <laughs> that's a very vulnerable part of his being that he's not going to allow, not just everybody to touch it, especially with cats. You know, when you had a cat. Oh, yeah. The cat will not let you, you, you roll, roll her on her back and rub her stomach. If she didn't trust you, she going to, you know, them claws are coming out round. You know, you're going to get a swipe. <laughs> No, that ain't cool. I, I didn't say you could do that. You know, she's telling you, I didn't say you could do that. <laughs> so I think 
we as individuals, you know, we have to be willing to be vulnerable, but at the same time, there has to be some trust between you and your manager yeah. and your organization that they're going to do the right thing by you. Yeah. And, it, and I'll even put one of the icing on the cake on that. You just, everything you just said remind me of the whole EQ thing again, how critical it is. The best leaders have high emotional intelligence. Uh, yes. The leaders that don't, the leaders that are not self-aware, the leaders that have the whole EQ red flags episode that I did. If they, if a leader has those traits, you need to run for the hills or try to find out if they have those traits during the interview process. If, you, right. if you're a candidate, so you don't want to go to that organization. If they're, if they are, are not securing themselves, you are in trouble. Yeah. And some people want a job so badly that they'll ignore the red flags. Uh, only to you find them five months later pulling their hair out somewhere uh, on social media. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So p- please, folks, take take heed to that. We already touched on the second topic in the midst of all that, mm-hmm. but people how people present themselves and people mm-hmm. do need folks. You do need to be succinct. I'm just gonna summarize that and revisit for a moment. You need you need to be able to be succinct. If you cannot present yourself in a succinct manner. You're going to flat out blow it. Uh, I, I was told. Yeah. I mean, some people do not know how to interview, uh, and yeah. I mean from a from a leadership perspective, it, that we have to go through training to know how to interview people the right way. There are yeah. legal ramifications associated with interviewing, yeah. so you got to make sure that you're mm. you 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 crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's from a legal perspective. Let alone the skills that you need to vet people out, what to look for, what kind of questions to ask those of you who are candidates out there. If you've never heard me uh, make this recommendation before, there's a phenomenal book called 60 seconds and you're hired. I highly recommend everybody out there who is a regular job seeker or you're new, please go and get that book because it will help you to understand how to present yourself during the interview process. It is worth its weight in gold. It doesn't cost mm-hmm. much. It's a very, uh, uh, it's not a very thick book at all. And it's an easy read. So I highly recommend that. But you got to be, you need to be, if you're a candidate, you need to be emotionally intelligent. Leaders need to be emotionally intelligent. And you need to be, when you're more emotional intelligent as a candidate, you're in a better position to spot what you need to spot, the red flags during the interview process. Because you, a company will tell you, if they're nuts, <laughs> not to say it that way during the interview process. <laughs> and, and cause if, and if they treat you badly during the interview process, you know, what's waiting up ahead because yeah. companies like that feel that they own you Yeah, and they will, well, I think, Oh my God, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I think one of the things that I learned, you know, before I even started managing and I, I'm glad because, you know, normally when you work at these big companies, like some microsystems, we had two tracks, of career development, you could go technical or you could go management. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I didn't want to write code anymore. And I was in UX. I said I would go to management route. But you know what? The 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 the, the beauty of that it took I, it took a year, and it was like going to Sun University. They would they sent us, you know, we not only we had our normal day to day tasks to do, but we were giving coursework and we had a lot of offsites. I mean, literally, we were. We were always off away studying these different use cases, management cases. And you're right, that whole thing about interviewing, and that was a biggie. There was a lot of red flags, questions you couldn't ask, mm-hmm. um, how you presented yourself, 
the whole nine yards and we would we would do role playing from role playing to we had to do an examination at the end but it was a year's worth of coursework and prep to be a management <laughs> in the system and it was a year Darren it took us a year to complete that and a lot of us we started out together some people just got you know you know, they were either said, you know, I, this is not really what, but I stuck around. I wanted to, I did the whole thing. And part of it was we would, we were, we were given opportunity when managers would go on vacation, we would sit in and we would have to be a manager for the, so you were, you were, you were, we were given problems and had to respond to those problems as if we were the managers and, yeah. and we had to live with those repercussions. So I think when you, an organization present these type of opportunities, especially for people of, of, of color, get these opportunities, take them because they're worth their weight and go. It's the payback will always, and that's something I learned a long time ago prior to my even getting into a management role because I was so prepared for this. I was so prepared to step into um, uh, resourcing and how to deal with people on a day-to-day basis because a lot of managers get these roles and they just don't know what they're doing. And they yep. and they they can kill a product or they can kill the team. And they just literally and before they know they've driven so many people have quit and left the organization qual and this is one of the things that, that you know that this Tony he talks about this as well in, in in his in his book is noticing that in individuals and making sure you're not one of those type of people. Yes. And you you just it's 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 one of those things that if, I don't know how you how you how you market or well organizations that are paying attention aren't going to let you go out and do that. Let's right. just put it that way. Right. The good organizations, but there's too many organizations that just by by hoodwink or nod that the next guy up gets the job and whether or not he's qualified for it is is your guess as good as your guess as good as mine. So that's the problem that we face with. It causes a, the repercussions is. That questions, that that question that you know, oh, I didn't know who you really were, or you you showed up in my chair and you know you don't really have that right, you know you don't look like the guy, you don't sound like that guy, but you are that guy that I have you know my my stereotypes built up about in their head. So these are the things that you know you see or I've encountered you know throughout my career, encountered on many numerous occasions that that's typically to me that's what happens. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Last topic. Last topic. And this one is sort of broad, but I think we got roughly 15 minutes, I think, here. Okay. We want to talk about management. Again, helping people to see things from the management side. So to equip people to be able to empathize. So we want to talk about management highlights, tips for managers, light bulb moments that, that we've had as managers, challenges that have come up. We've already talked about a few, so we'll go into it a little bit more here. Good segue. And pitfalls. What what comments or what what things would you like to highlight today or address with regard to management in the UX world? Oh, God, I have so much. You know, management in the UX world is just, I want to be honest with you, so many organizations have its stance. You yeah. know, they just, because of the fact of what I called pre-qualified in your earlier question, they were the next person up, they got the job, and they don't have a clue as to you know, where they're going. <laughs> they've gotten 
you know, and, and this is serious, seriously, yeah. because I, I mean, I mean, because this is the big, big, big bang institution in San Francisco. I just roll out of, off of a contract. It, it's just, you know, it's it's bad. It's just, and then you know when you you have a bad manager and they don't know what's going on, and then you know they call your site, and then they give you the what I call the blank stare, although we're working remote, I could see her eyes, the blank <laughs> stare. And it's just, it really isn't, she really doesn't grasp of what, but she's got to do something because someone told her she had to do something. Yeah. Right. But she doesn't know why she's doing that something. And so organizations, when they, when you stumble in these things and they, and, and you, you run into these, these cases and you, you look at them, they do themselves a disservice because you know, the track record gets out there. We we as employees talk to one another. And if someone asked me, would I go work for these guys in this particular group? I would say no. Why? Because they have a, a track record of bad management there. Or they don't understand the use of UX resources or how to organize UX resources. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I come in, to, you know, my latest stint where I have to come in, I feel as though I have to manage. I have to manage up. And sometimes in management situations, you got to manage up. Not yes. only manage down, you got to manage up. You have to manage your manager, and sometimes you got to manage him to manage his manager as to really what's <laughs> yes. really going yep. on, right? Yep. And how do we get there? You know, how do we get here, and how do we make this better? And do you really care about what's going on? Because I'm going to regurgitate some of the things I'm hearing because I'm down here with the, you know, on, on the, with the other individual contributors, and I'm going to relay that back to you. And it's not that I'm going to say this person said, I'm just going to say, this is what I hear. This is what I'm acknowledging. And these are the things that you you need to be aware of. So I think the the organizations and in, in the whole management of UX really need to better understand the people's resources. And then they have to have an active voice to provide input at the C-suite level to say, no, this is not the way to go. And these are the reasons why. And that's where you have to be in tune with the product you're trying to build people. If you don't have people on staff to do what you think you need to do, you need to say, and by the way, I need to hire X, Y, and Z, or I need these additional resources to make sure that we get there. Because as you and I both know, everything today is about the CX. People vote with their feet. People vote by yep. leaving, leaving those accounts. And then when those numbers go in the, in the negative direction, all of a sudden, all hands on deck. Everybody wants to know what the X is going on. Why are we losing followers? Why are we shrinking? Our growth is not where it used to be. And, and it's because it's about the CX. It's how people engage with the product that you build on a day-to-day basis and whether or not you were listening to the people who were trying to tell you all along that customer journey path that this was a bad, this was a bad thing, and these were the things that 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 was happening. And this is when you know, and then this, and then here again, I'm gonna harken back to the, to to Tony, Tony's uh, auto file. He talks about some of these things, and which is interesting, how you have to be willing to fall on your sword. It's that when, when things go bad, he says, you know, stop pointing fingers. Just say reorganize. Let's think it out. Let's figure it out. And therefore, we'll go forward. I don't want anyone, you know, saying, because you'll get to the point where who made the mistake. That's going to come up. That, that will come up. But the thing is to, it's to, it's how do you recover from, 
from a potential tragedy and a, and a product strategization. And then because everything we everything we see and do today, there's that CX portion of it, right? Where mm-hmm. people touch, they touch your product. And now we have electronic medium and you got TikTok. People go and do a, a damaging video about how bad things are. And man, you get trashed. <laughs> yes. Before you know it, before you know it, you're trashed. Right? You're, you're yesterday's you're yes you're yesterday's go-to because you you weren't paying attention. You just that person you, you either did you had a blind spot yep. when you were building this thing, or you here again. The job got passed. To, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll we'll let we'll let we'll let George do it. You know, he's he's from marketing. He, he has, a, you know, George don't gives a rat ass about UX. He's just like, you know, another thing he's got the man. I've heard, man, well, I don't know what UX is. I just they just gave it to me. And I, don't, I don't know what I need to do. He said, I just I'm just told I got to do something. <laughs> you know, like, oh God. And I work for you. I, I know somebody. <laughs> I you, you just remind me. I know somebody uh, who has a a manager that got the role, the exact thing you just described. And he actually confessed, well, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just faking it till I make it. Yeah. How many people, how many leaders, and how many companies have fake it till you make it leaders in place that bypassed a truly qualified person for whatever the political reasons were that they did it. And I've heard about a lot. I've, I've seen a lot of them. I've heard about a lot of them. I've been passed over. I had an entire UX team mobilize against me to keep me from getting a director's position once. Yeah, at at a, at, a, at, a, at a Fortune what was that Fortune two hundred company? Uh, and I mean, yeah. it just it, it, because it just I mentioned information architecture and they got mad. I did a talk about what is UX and I made them look bad because of what I said and yeah. you know so they got mad and they decided to do the equivalent of lynching me. Because when people yeah. keep you from advancing in your career, that's what they're doing. When they keep you yeah. from getting hired, when they keep you, when they when they damage the perception of, that people have of you simply because they don't want you to get ahead because because they feel yeah. insignificant or inferior within yeah. themselves. That's uh, it's interesting. It, it's in, well, and none of this stuff was ever well, covered in school, but God knows we sure do experience it a lot. <laughs> no, and you're right. It's not in the books. It's not text written. And it's like the people who who are who are less confident in who they are as individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, one guy. What he told me, he said, was the monkey syndrome, because monkeys when they're climbing up the tree, they climb up on each other's back, right? And 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 these guys will climb up over you and just pull you down because if they see you going up. Well, why should I let you go any higher than me? Or well, I'm going to grab on that leg. And now you got, you know, you're trying to go up that tree with one arm and you get the other arm, two people hanging on that arm. And I think that's, the, I think that, that, that it's, it's a, it's, that's an organizational fault. Yeah. A flaw. Yeah. That the organization has not addressed or want to address because if you hire that kind of what I call shallow people mm-hmm. and their goals are so myopic where they're just sort of overly concerned about each other. I mean, you should be, they, they should be challenged enough to where, you know, they got work that is challenging. they got tests and, you know, and, and, you know, why not? Why, why, why can't we, we increase our, you know, our footprint in the organization? And yeah, if Darren's got the wherewithal to, to promote you know, the, 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 the IA and our organization to, to pull down more, you know, more, more substantial. Imp- well, why not? Well, that's boost. Let's, Let's make sure he gets there, right? 
so but see it's it's camaraderie it's it's just being feeling good in your skin feeling good that the person that you put before you is going to get the job done and you know whether you you look back and help them out that's that's immaterial but the the the, the, the thought is or the well wishing thought is that you know once you get to where you're going to go you're going to recognize those people who help you get there and you're going to bring them along and they're going to come with you right so it's it, to me, it's, you can't always go into the philosophical thinking. Well, what's in it for me? Well, yeah, it may, it may not. It may not be anything for you. Maybe you just <laughs> saying the positive thing to say, yeah, he's a good guy. He can get the work done. That's his. You know, you, you got the opportunity to express that. Yeah, and when you say that, you also remind me of what I constantly say about UX that it's about the discipline first. Yeah. That when I'm doing my my podcast, it's about helping the discipline. When I'm yeah. posting, when I'm loud, as I like to say, I'm loud on social media. Well, one app said that my social media reached is actually 4.5 to 5 million. That was that was astounding oh, wow. to me, you know. And it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. That's but I'm glad that I'm glad I take what I'm doing seriously. But people need to understand. It's there's nothing about this has anything to do with Darren Hood. It's the discipline. If 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 more of us would put the discipline first, man, where would we be? Yeah. Instead of and when you when you talked about the monkeys, it made me think about the old crabs in the bucket scenario that that somebody said that if you if you have a bunch of crabs in a bucket, you don't even have to put a lid on top of it because every time one crab looks like he might get out, another crab will pull him down. Yeah. And, and so they 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 keep themselves down, and unfortunately, yeah. I see that a lot in UX today too. That people they yeah. want they don't want to see other people get ahead. We're trying to vault as many people ahead as are interested and willing to go ahead. We want to give you the wherewithal to be able to do that, and and to go past me. I don't care. It's going to take you a while. <laughs> you're not going to. You didn't just come in UX last week, and and you're going to vault past me next week. You forget that. Uh, because it's a lifelong learning commitment. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm 27 years, still learning. You're in it longer than that, still learning. We're always learning. You're and, and, and I'm not day, and I'm not racing with anybody. I'm not trying to be more than anybody. So I'm like Darren Hood, you're trying to be an influencer. Actually, number one, no, I'm not. Uh, number two, when you've been doing it as long as we, once you reach a certain threshold of experience in UX, you're not trying to do anything anymore. You just do. And so we just do the it's work. Yeah. It, it flows naturally. It's all second nature. Now, I can be sitting in a sitting at a table in Starbucks and somebody have a conversation and bring me into the conversation. And I will naturally go through the same mental process to be able to provide them with the input that they're looking for. You just do it. And then you right. leave and you never see the people again and you've impacted them. They've gone off and made a million dollars and you see yeah. them on TV and you're happy. You just do it. The only people that are trying to stand out or trying to do something are the people who have to do it. They have to put forth a, a mega conscious and deliberate effort because it is not natural to them yet. <laughs> and people don't, don't understand that. That's, yeah. that's just the way that it goes. You don't have to, if a guy's an auto mechanic, He's not trying to do X, Y, and Z. It just flows through him. If he's been doing it right. for a long, for a long time. If a person is a is a is a master chef, 
All you have to do is start a particular conversation or put certain things in front of them and they just automatically snap into it because yeah. it's that it's a natural thing. And it's funny that these people who throw these terrible uh, statements out here and casting aspersions, the only people that believe them are the people that know less than them. Yeah. And, and all of that is hurting the discipline. So I'm, I'm making a plea as we get ready to shift and close today making the plea to folks, be careful. We, I said at the beginning of the podcast today, it's time for truth to go viral. I've said many times, misinformation didn't even exist in UX prior to 2011, but it's everywhere now. And, and so you gotta be careful. So be careful of the sources that you tap into because it's gonna, it's gonna impact your trajectory. Yeah, What you choose true. to listen to. If there was a guy on LinkedIn, somebody, I try to stay away from LinkedIn on the weekends. Somebody shared a post. There was a guy that said 99.9% of the jobs that are available come either through a recommendation or a referral. And I'm going, wow, where did you get that terrible blind data? Because that is nowhere near being true. But how many people believed it? How many people liked it? And how many people retweeted it? Because it was a tweet. And so, and until people start to become more selective, and, and I've told the story before, when I when I didn't have any money, when I was living off of ninety nine dollars a week, I was in a government going through a government program. Uh, I lived off of just at water pan. Literally, uh, Spencer, I lived off of just at water pancakes, instant grits. <laughs> and those, those orange, <laughs> those terrible orange veal patties. Veal isn't orange, but we we still ate these orange breaded veal patties. That's what I lived on. Today, I'm going to the steakhouse. Today, I'm going to Eddie V's. I'm going to Shula's Steakhouse. I'm going to Morton's today. I couldn't do that back then. Right. And, and so the, the moral of that story is that once you've developed resources and you've built yourself up, that's when you become selective. People are not selective today and they don't realize it because they don't have any oomph. They don't have any substance. And when you don't have well, any substance, you eat whatever comes across, whatever you feel you can grab in the store. Well, you know, it's, it's like you said about the platform, you know, and they may not have any wherewithal, but because they have these social media platforms, they throw it out there. It's, you know, I, you know, it's like who, someone was interviewing. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody, somebody was interviewing interviewing Zuckerberg, and and I think the guy said he was even downplaying the monster he had created. It's sort of like because not so sure. Social media has sort of unhinged reality mm. that makes no sense to reality yeah it's just it's just that person's reality and and flawed thinking is out there and it's it's precipitous you know it's precipitous enough to where it is in all the dna of our lives and and it especially in our careers and as you were you were describing the ux career path of you know of, of understanding things and then people who who have a little bit of knowledge will will spoil the war by throwing something on and come across as if he's been an expert with years of experience. You know, there, there are people, you know, that I'll listen to when Jacob Nielsen says something, yeah, I'm going to stand up and listen to it because the guy's got tread. He's been there. I mean, he, he created this stuff, right? He, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was him and Don Norman and the fathers of this stuff. So what they say, I'm going to listen to him. They're like my dad. 
you know, until they put my dad in the ground, he was always, he sat at the head of the table. He was, he was the go-to guy. And what I believe in, yeah, I had to filter, put my filters on because I knew my father and this is how I wanted to be, but I wouldn't be so much like him. But it's that whole thing of understanding where that truth and wisdom come from. But you don't get that overnight. Yeah, It's like you said, you just don't, I don't know how many people are born with that unless you were, you know, <laughs> born in an incubator. You know, did they put you in an incubator and someone come in and they decide to give you a dose of UX? So when you get to the Matrix, teenager, you can, yeah, the Matrix plug up to the back. Yeah. (laughs) Give him a Neo, give him a Neo thing. I know Kung Fu now. (laughs) You know, that, that, but see, you, you see that you're exactly right. There's so many candidates and people out there with one or two years of experience. And when you talk to them, you're oh my God. So I don't I don't embrace them. I don't I won't say I avoid them, but then when they come up and they when they're out of line and and they're in the interview process, because a lot of times it's you know, this is what we were talking about, the interview process. You run into them in the interview process and you just you, you gotta go through it. You gotta grin and bear it. And <laughs> you just go, Okay, this joker's gonna do this, we're gonna go here, and then you go there and then he, he will come back with some silly disqualification because I get to see the notes, you know, the recruiter will give me the notes and I'm like, oh, and then you go look at this guy and then you say, okay, let me go check this guy out. You go on LinkedIn, you look at it and say, he's got two years of experience and man, and I'm like, <laughs> how could he? But you see, this is the reality. This is our, this is the new reality. This is the new norm, right? This is our new norm that we have to live with. Yeah. So, it's it's organizational, institutional, institutionalized stuff, and it's just it's a day in our lives that we have to live through, right? And yep. the hope is you're right. This that the the information that you build in your podcast will one day someone sitting on the plane will spin up your podcast, hear these dialogues, and some manager somewhere will say, you know what, there may be some truth into what the decision I made and it may not be the best decision. I mean, let me rethink that. Or maybe mm-hmm. let me, let me dig and research a little bit more instead of just hiring a director. Can I find a director with some experience in UX or do I have anybody on my staff who could work at the director level uh, who's potential and they've been doing this for a while, or can I bring someone in without a director category and make them a director because when I interview with them, I get the I get the vibe or the feedback from the interview process. He's a balanced individual, and I feel comfortable saying, "Okay, mm-hmm. I can put this guy in a director role, and with minimal my support, he will take off, and he'll be he'll be a, a, a well valued member contributing to our organization going forward in the future." So that's that's that whole hope, and that was what you know the Tony and. and, and because that's when I was listening to that, re- you know, because I have the audio file and I listen to it throughout my day to off and on. It just, it resonates because he, in reality, he's had the opportunities to live it. In my realities, in rational world has been a bit different. Our paths started literally at the same time. He lost money in 2000, like I did when the, the whole, the whole tech sector, he was there when Apple was, they couldn't give Apple, Apple computers away. Right. <laughs> you know, it was iPod that, that brought Apple back. It was, but see, it, it was a vision that jobs kept saying, no, you know, we will build what we build and sell it well, 
because our vision. And then he, and then yeah. it's, and I, I, I know I'm dragging you out, but his story, <laughs> he says his story was that thread where Steve Jobs would repeat enough of that at the corporate level that when he would go and speak to the, what they call the, those, those meetings where they, I forget, they, they call it uh, the PE ratios where they call in and Wall Street will call a company and say, okay, how are you doing? What's what, what are you guys rolling out? Because we want to evaluate your company's evaluation period. Mm-hmm. He had, he would speak it often enough that he could tell them essentially, no, this is the value you're going to evaluate Apple computer at. And lo and behold, you know, he was one of the few, few CEOs that would go to those, 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 those audit calls by wall street and, te- and he would tell them essentially the valuation of, and look at Apple. Now they're the, they're yeah. the, they're the biggest, most profitable organization in the world. Right. And, you know, you, you got some, and that's saying a lot for a lot of the players in that space. And as long as they keep their, 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 their act together, but you see how that philosophical thing of having the story regurgitating the story to the point where it's clean enough that where you, when you pitch at, at that bigger level, it's the same thing we need to say to that, that mind of people of color, get your act together, get your story together, get those jobs, do yeah. those menial jobs, do those tasks because those strings will all one day will come together and you'll be able to pull on it. And that journey will be that journey. You Absolutely. will get to where you want to go. Yes. Yes. <sighs> Absolutely. Man, <laughs> this is dynamite as always. The energy is always the right people are going to value this. I don't worry about who doesn't. I never do. Someone asked me, hey, I was on one of the episodes, one of my other guests. And how did, did you get any feedback yet? I said, you know what? I really don't care about the feedback <laughs> in general. Uh, yeah. uh, because yeah. it's, it's just, we know what we're saying. And we know right. what's behind it, and we know what the value is. And I, I've learned if, if if someone doesn't value it, then they don't value it. Uh, I value it. <laughs> no, I listen to what air, all my guests are saying, and I'm going to embrace it. And I know what it's going to do for me. I already know because you, re- when you've been around this long, you recognize a proven word when you hear it, and instead of right. going around and testing things. So, so I'm happy. I'm, I'm thankful for people like you coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, very much uh, uh, for coming on today, Spencer. Welcome. I'm going to close with a thought, Thank and I'm going to give you. A, oh, sorry. Oh, oh, yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes. I'm going to close with my closing leadership thought for today, with regard to the topics, and then we're going to give you a closing thought, and we're going to sign off. And my closing thought is this, and this is something that I, I it popped up as a Facebook memory, and I'm like, I need to put this on one of my graphics. Because people like to collect those. So I, I, I'll put it on one of my graphics. But it goes like this. Being a good leader includes the ability to see someone's potential and cultivate them. Mm-hmm. And you made me think about this when you talked about uh, the book, uh, Build. That's what, for those of you out there that are leaders, you have to recognize somebody's potential and then cultivate that. It, it's Everybody shouldn't have to bring the world to the table. They got to bring something. Bring me some clay. That's all I want you to bring me. I, I've actually told people that. I, well, what can I do as an entry-level person? What can I do, Darren, to, to bring value to your organization? I said, you can bring passion, curiosity, a willingness to learn, and humility. And then I would always say, and you'll notice, 
that I said nothing about Figma or wireframes or anything no, like that. No. If you bring me that as an entry level person, everything else will take care of itself. And I would like you to be as emotionally intelligent as possible, but that's something that can be developed as well. But if you bring me those four things, we can do something. And I mentor people all over the world and the people I mentor, I make sure they have those four things. <laughs> and that's the first time anybody's heard me say that. If they don't have those four things, I can't help them. Yeah, I can't help them because no. tr- trying to, I know you can't get blood from a turnip. As, as the that's older true. people would say down south all the time, you can't get blood from a turnip. And I recognize if somebody's a turnip, I don't try to get blood from them. It, it's, I'm going to spare myself that headache. So, Bring me those things. I want to recognize. I know you have that. You'll have the ability. You'll have the potential. And then I will start to give you what you need. And then because you have those qualities, you'll embrace the things that we're giving you and you'll grow and you'll ascend. And I've seen people, some people I've talked to have become directors. Some people I've talked to have turned around and gone to MIT to get more UX education. So my, the people who listen to me, long track record of success and and that makes me feel good because I see them having success. So that's my 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 closing two cents. How about you, sir, today? <laughs> well, you know, Danny, like I guess it's always tough following you because you just so elegantly <laughs> always put things together in, in your phrases. And I'm like, you know, I, the close for me is just on top of what you what you stated, which is so true, it's just curiosity. You know, just be curious enough about what you're doing and bring that passion. Those would be the only two things I would add to what you stated, because I think without that, you, you, you have nothing, you, you know, yep. you're either curious about the world you live in and you care enough about where you live because, you know, it's what I think the saying was that some people say, well, if I make the bed, when I get out of the bed, why am I doing it on a repetition? Because it's 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 a trained behavior. It's you learn these things as you grow up. The, your mom would chastise you when you got up in the morning. You you were the slob, or your room was a mess. Make that bed, because what she was bequeathing to you was trained attitudes lead to bigger and better things in yes. life. You know, and you and it's like. If you ever watch a child walk, you know, they, it's funny how they, they put the one step in front of the other end and pretty soon they're motoring around, right? And then they're getting into stuff. Now now you got another set of problems. They're in, they're getting into stuff, they're following you and they're going out the door when the door closes or you think the door's closed and you're going to close them outside there because they, they're behind you. You know, locked them outside. But no, <laughs> but no, I think that's the reality of all of this. It's just the curiosity and just having the will, you know, wherewithal just to to want to do it. You just, it, it, I agree. Bring me the clay. The clay yep. has to have some intellectual level <laughs> at some minimum level. The rest, you know, the, the rest you can move on. But so, I appreciate you having me on, man. You know, oh yeah, Darren, it's, it's always been a you know a rip. Uh, to 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 just kind of just chop things up with you about different ways, and you know sometimes I get a little long in areas because it's the it's just so many That's okay. thoughts. That's okay. It's so gold. many thoughts that ramble in my head that you just <laughs> want to get out there because you just keep putting it together in the conversation, and hopefully that communication comes across. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. Yeah, you be as long as you want to be, man. It's <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I've got a long attention span, and I encourage other people to do the same. So, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Until Ayana, we said hello. I, I thought she I was going. I thought she was going to end up tagging along, but see if she pops. <laughs> no, I don't drag her with me all the time. She, I'll reach out. Oh, Dad, I want to be in that one too. I said, okay. you got to go ask Darren if you can be in that one. <laughs> that would have been fine. But we're going to sign off here. Uh, love, always love the discussion. Again, love the energy, and, mm-hmm. and we're thankful for those of you who have taken the time to tune in. And listen to the podcast. Hey, share the podcast with your friends, folks. It's time for truth to go viral. I'm going to continue saying that. I should get a t-shirt that says that made. I know how to do that, too. (laughs) But we'll get that going. But that is it for today. That's all the time we have. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. As always, wishing you the absolute best. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.